I don't know if you know this, but as we pray about the service, we, we actually have you in, in our heart. We're, we're not just thinking, oh, let me do a good job. We're actually concerned with serving you guys, and you're in our heart. So when you don't show up, we're like, oh. It's like, a, like when mom makes food, and then the kids come home, and they're like, I already ate pizza. And then she's like, oh. That's just letting the veil open and letting you know, like, you're actually in our heart as we're praying about service. And even when we're prepping songs, we're often thinking, what's going to... What's going to help us as a family take this? Because we know, like, we're going through stuff. Aren't we going through stuff? We're going through stuff. Everybody in this room is going through stuff. We have a story that God's faithful in the midst of. Every one of us is living in the middle of a story. And the story has challenges and setbacks and struggles and burdens and hopes and fears Griefs and sins and shame and questions and uncertainty. And it's our heart to help, help your yes to Jesus really get grip. That's our goal. I was thinking yesterday about what is, what is, what, I listened to a podcast. Oh. Somebody's having special speakers come to their church, so I wanted to investigate one of the speakers, and I went to their podcast, and I started listening, and I got really stressed out. It was all leadership, all agenda, all like, this is what this, these are the principles, this, and I didn't hear one word about Jesus, and I started to get this yucky feeling in my gut, and it's not because that guy's not following Jesus, it's because he and I don't have the same makeup. I, we're not wired the same. And I started to go, because well, I don't want to speak ill of some godly person who intentionally is trying to equip people for leadership, but I, I started to feel gross in my heart. Is, do, does this make sense? Where it's like everything he's saying is true, but, I, but I'm like, I have to go away now. I have to kind of go over and say, okay, Lord, what's going on inside of me? And then I realized that's, it's not my mission. My mission is not to be an effective leader that has an organization with excellence and team building. I, I, those are good things, and I want those things, but like, that's not what drives me. And so I started to go, what drives me? What is it that I want? And I'm like, oh, it's so simple. I want to help people fall more in love with Jesus. Amen. And, and the other guy, he's got a calling on his life, and it's probably... A, I'm not saying it's incompatible with helping people fall in love with Jesus. But the language and the, the we got to know who you are and not listen and do the things that you feel you should do as a Christian, but you got to do the thing you were made to do. Does that make sense? So my heart for you and for me is that we would fall more in love with Jesus that your yes to Jesus, you would feel better about it. That your, your, your life committed to Jesus, that you would see the beauty of who he is. I, I don't think for the rest of our life we're going to run out of content to fill in the blank with why God is beautiful and good and trustworthy. But the story you're in the middle of right now is, is in so many ways putting question marks and challenges to that paragraph, which is what faith is all about. Faith is a big yes to God 
in the middle of a story where it looks like, how could God be good? Or it looks like, how could I be the beloved of God? I got four sermons on my heart, and I'm not going to preach four sermons to you. You guys are the, you're the weirdest, you're the weirdest church I've ever seen. There's 25 bucks for you, girl. They got money in my Bible. You're welcome. I didn't even know that you had that in there. Maybe I should read this Bible more often. I got, this is a different one than I usually use. It had money inside it. That's fun. Maybe money. <laughs> That'd be a sneaky little thing is to, is to sneak random money into each of your children's Bibles. I'd pay my bills. If you had 10 grand, wouldn't you pay your bills? Pay your bills first, then buy a new car, okay? Just pointing that out to you guys. Fix the roof first, then if there's anything left over, get a bigger TV. I, like, and maybe buy better shoes. Then, and maybe a better mattress and pillow. Then go on a vacation. We get things all out of whack. We go with what we want instead of what would be better so many times. Okay, I I think I'm going to go with this one. Genesis 16. Listen to the scripture. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. I love the commentary. I agree. It's maddening to read the Bible and discover that they're not any better than we are. I mean, I was hoping that... These people are as messed up as my family. What the heck? Or as the kids would say, would, would the kids today say, what the actual heck? Is that, or is that, I don't know. It, does it matter what the kids would say? Nobody wants me to act like one of the kids. Carrie's 45, I'm 44, almost 45. And I said, do you feel old? She's like, heck no, we're young. I'm like, I feel young too. And then my mom says, you're halfway to 80. And I was like, actually, technically, we're more than halfway to 80. Well, I'm already 83. And tell you, you get to think more about death when you get that old too. I thought about death when I was six years old. My dog got hit on the road. I sat in my bedroom by myself crying and realizing everybody's going to die in my life and just crying. Didn't tell nobody anything was going on. Just, they probably, oh, look, Tim's having a bad day. I should have told somebody. But you know, your brain does the math. Oh, my word. That dog died. Wait a minute. 
We're all going to die. <gasps> what if my parents die before me? Mathematically, it's likely they will. Who rigged this? What, what, what hat? Why? This is why I say little kids have adult problems and adults have little kid hearts. Like, you know? Okay. The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. God gave us a promise that we would have kids, but God hasn't kept his promise. I guess it's up to us. And Abram agreed with Sarai, his, her proposal. Uh, so he took Abram's... He, so Sarai took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram. No one asked her. That's my question. I have a lot of questions, actually, to be honest. I have a lot of questions. Nobody, what, what about her? Oh, man. I know. So this happened. They had sexual relations. She became pregnant. And then blah, 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 blah. Uh, which means et cetera, et cetera. And of course, immediately it screwed up the relationships like we all knew it would. Duh. Yeah, have sex with her. This will be fine. No problem. And then immediately, conflict. Duh. Hagar started behaving differently towards Sarai with contempt. And then she says to Abraham, this is all your fault. Okay. He did it, though. I mean, he should have said, heck no. This is, this is Adam and Eve right here. Do you see the echo of Adam and Eve? Okay. No. What? No. Somebody. Wake up. He says, she's your servant. Okay, listen. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur because she ran away. She was being mistreated so badly she ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness, alongside the road to Shur. And the angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from? And where are you going? Again, when the Lord asks questions, is it because he lacks information? Most often, the Lord asks us questions not because he needs to hear the answer, but because we need to ask the question. I wonder if you could ask yourself that as you find yourself running in the midst of your pain, hiding and running. I wonder if the angel of the Lord asked you, where have you come from? And where are you going? Some people might say, uh, I know exactly where I came from, and I'm pretty sure where I'm going to head up, but I just don't know where I am right now. I have no idea where I am. Some of us would say, I have no idea where I've come from. Or where I'm going. I just love the questions the Lord asks people in the Bible. Love them. 
He bypasses the information and his questions usually cut right to the heart of the matter. Where, are you, where have you come from? Where are you going? She answers informationally. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. I'm running away. Oh, I can't say. I don't blame her at all. I find it interesting. In a lot of people's story, the Hagar is irrelevant to them. They just want to know about Abraham and Sarah and the promise. And I love her story. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress. No, come on, God. It's the one thing I don't want to do. It's the one place in the world I don't want to go, God. It's the last thing I want to do on earth. Stop running, turn around, go back. Go do the hardest thing I could ask you. Go do that. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. But it's wrong, Lord. It's not right. It's not fair. It's not right. And then he added, I'm going to give you more descendants than you can count. Are you smelling the same promise God gave to Abraham? It's as though God loves Hagar just the way he loves Abram. Even though by human standards, she's less than. But in God's economy, she's not less than. The angel also said, You are now pregnant and will give birth to a son, and you're to name him Ishmael, which means what? God hears. He told her to name the son God hears. God hears me. God hears me. Man, if there was, a, if there was a, ever a person or a class of people in the ancient world who felt unheard, unseen, uncared for, unprotected, wouldn't it be slaves and people who were born into slavery and were just kept as human property their whole life? And yet God heard. You're to name him Ishmael, which means God hears, for the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. He will live in open hostility against his relatives. That's a fascinating little thing. Here's what I think sometimes we miss, because we hear wild donkey, we hear rebel, fool, idiot. Here's... We don't have a high view of donkeys, I don't think. I think we think of donkeys, well, we, yeah. Stubborn is like our, that's our phrase. That's what we think of. Stubborn as a mule, right? I know a mule's not, don't go, I get it. Technical stuff. But in the ancient culture, a donkey was not a shameful creature. It was a reliable and extremely strong creature. Donkeys can pull more than horses some of the time put them together in the right capacity. Donkey was a, a wild donkey is free. Think about the significance of telling Hagar, who is a servant, 
that her son will be a wild donkey, untamed, no bit, no bridle, no harness, no rope, no cage, no prison. He's not going to be under, he's going to be free of. Now, we do see, of course, the consequences of the hostility, don't we? Even, and I, you got to say this, if you look at the history up to now, these lineages are still struggling. If you want to look at the current events, still arguing and fighting over the Temple Mount and who gets to have it and who should have it and who's the rightful claim, and er- claim to it. But my point is this. You may be a servant, but your kid is going to live and he's going to be free. Hereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. And uh, isn't it one of the Jetsons? Is Elroy one of the Jetsons? His wife, Judy. No, it's daughter, Judy. Daughter, Judy. What's his wife's name? Jane, his wife. Man, it has been like a good a 20, 30 years since I, since I watched the Jetson intro. Do, 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 do. His boy, Elroy. Elroy. Oh, the, what is the dad's name? Wow, that doesn't sound futuristic at all. None of these names sound futuristic. They sound like they come from the era when the cartoon was made. Oh, the only one sounds futuristic is the dog. Okay. (laughs) That's not very edifying, but we just talked about it. Okay. From then on, Hagar called the Lord Elroy, the God who sees. God hears, God sees. So she named that land, or that name was land Bir Lahai Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. This is why I say there's like four sermons. There's two sermons in this passage. And the first sermon is when God gives us a promise and it takes a while, the temptation for us is to get busy using our wisdom and our insight and our skill and our wit and our energy and our effort to, to make it happen. And to cut corners and do things our way to get to the goal. And maybe this is how we'll do this. Maybe this will work. Because it's really hard. It's really hard to hold steady. It's really hard to, to wait on the Lord. It's really hard to be faithful in a few things and not cut corners. It's really hard not to take matters into your own hands. It's really hard not to nag. It's really hard not to manipulate. It's really hard not to guilt and shame. It's really hard to pray. It's really hard to have mercy instead of give people a piece of your mind. It's really hard to pray and fast and seek God and do the next right thing and walk by faith and sow good, good things into people instead of threaten, judge, manipulate, control, blame. It's really hard not to take matters into your own hands and let anxiety rule you. But the whole New Testament is about flesh doesn't work, even godly flesh, seemingly godly, religious flesh, and faith does because faith is grace and the Spirit and it becomes Jesus living in and through you. Flesh, it's me doing it for God, for myself, for my purposes. Spirit, 
It's Christ in me doing it as I yield, surrender, and I trust. Anytime anxiety is on the throne of my heart, I become less than love. Are you with me? Have you noticed that when you're in an anxious frame of mind, you've got someone to blame? Anxiety produces blame. And then blame creates a system. And then you go, well, I'm going to fix this then. And then you take action. And it's the flesh. And the way others experience you and the way you might even experience God is that God's not keeping up his end, so it's my job. It's really interesting. Some people... The Lord will speak a promise over them and they'll go, and some promises are like this. Like if the Lord said to you, go run around the building, you shouldn't sit here waiting for him to run you around the building, okay? He told you to run around the building. That's a simple act of obedience. That's a clear word. But if he said to you, I'm going to cause this and this to happen as you just seek me, well then that's not for you to do. Your job's to seek him. And the, and the I'm going to cause this and this to happen for you, that's his part, I'm going to give you a son and that son will be the means by which a great nation is born. You're childless, you're barren. I take the thing that you want most in life and I make a promise. And then, and then, you're 99 and it still hasn't happened. If you just flip over a page, in my Bible it's a page, to 18, in the middle, I'm sorry, 17, to chapter 17, God makes, God reissues the promise. And then Abraham says, can you just let the blessing fall on Ishmael? Can you just, I know you said we're going to have a son and this blessing's going to happen and everyone's going to be for us and whoever's for us, you're going to bless and whoever's against us, you're going to curse and then we're not even going to be able to count our descendants. Can you just apply that to Ishmael? I got this kid born from Hagar. And God says, I am actually going to do all that for for Ishmael. I am. But he's not the son of promise. He's the son of your flesh. He's the son of your will. He's the son of your agenda. And because I'm good and I love him and I love his mom, and I see and hear his mom, I'm going to bless him. But that's not the one. See, even, even like after he's got the kid and there's all the conflict, he's still trying to say, this thing I did for you, is that, is, that, is, that, is that you? Come on, man. No. God says, no. I'm, gonna, I'm still going to give you a child through Sarah's womb. It's going to be the child born of promise. It's going to be the one I give you, not the one you give to try to fulfill the promise. So you got the whole New Testament talking about the flesh versus the spirit and how the deeds of the flesh are not, that's not Christianity. That's just religion, but the life that's born of the Spirit, the life that comes out of resting in Christ, trusting in Christ, and yielding Him, yielding to Him, that's actually Christianity. It's not me living for God. It's God living in and through me, right? It's an indwelling Lord. In your circumstance, I don't know what this looks like, but I know you're in this story. I know you're in Hagar's story somewhere. And I know the same God who sees and hears her sees and hears you. I don't know where you're in Abraham and Sarah's story, but I know you're in Abraham and Sarah's story. And I know that God's made promises to you 
that he'll be good to you, he'll be faithful to you, he'll be with you all your days. He's made all kinds of promises. He might have spoken things, whispered things to you that are not in the Bible, but they're real, and it's the real God of the Bible who has spoken them to you. And you might be still waiting for the fulfillment of those things. Please, don't take matters into your own hands. Please, stay faithful, stay small, stay surrendered, stay pliable, because he will be good when the whole story's over. You'll, you'll see it. In the middle is the part where we have the opportunity, the only time in eternity where we'll have this opportunity. This is the only time in eternity you will have the opportunity to walk by faith. This, this moment, this struggle, this test you're in of will I put God first, will I surrender, or will I take back control? In most areas of our life where we fall into sin, it's us taking back control, saying, I don't trust God, and I have to do this for me. It's really rare to find people who are not married, who are romantically engaged, who are not sexually active. It's very rare, in other words, to find Christians who are unmarried, who are dating, who are not committing fornication. Very rare. Extremely rare. And that's, that's not good, is it? Because no. why, why is it not good? Because it's wrong or because it's actually harmful? And what it shows is we don't really trust him. Amen. We don't really trust that he actually loves us and has our best at heart. This is the only opportunity you have in eternity to bring the Lord an offering that actually costs you something, that says, I value you more, God. Amen. I say this a lot in here, but our price tag, or I feel like I say this a lot in here, our price tag is way lower than it should be. If, I don't, if my life doesn't go the way I want, well, then I reserve the right to pull my love for God back and my gratitude for God back. And what it shows is that we're still living for me. When I thought, I thought, I thought that he gave all for me, right? Didn't he give all for you? He gave all, he took the cross for you because he delights in you and he loves you. And I thought when we said yes, we said yes to saying, I'm going to love you that way too, Jesus. But our sellout price being so low shows we didn't. We didn't say yes to real faith. And that doesn't mean, oh man, I guess we suck. I bet we might as well quit. No, that means we got to admit that that's what happened. Okay. Okay, yeah, exactly. Okay, my sellout price was this low. I probably don't love you yet, God. I think it's fascinating that every single one of the disciples said, I will never deny you. And then they denied him. I think it's fascinating that the, the one who, who denied that he would the most vigorously was Peter, and he did it three times. So it's really wise, instead of us telling God what, what we feel toward God, is to realize we don't know. Like, if you could say, God, I love you. Do I love him? Is love a feeling? The other day, the Lord asked me, what's the last thing that I asked you to do that you did? I didn't feel like it was a word of judgment. It was just, a, it was an interesting question, right? Because last week we looked at Matthew 7 and I said that 
Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but only the one who does the will of my Father. So it's not about how much you pray, how much you say to God. It's about how much you actually listen to what God says to you in prayer and go walk in it. It's a relationship. It's not leaving God voicemails. Again, is Christianity about me getting what I want from God or is it about the transformation of my life by the real contact of my soul with the living God? It's about my transformation. I, I'm not, I didn't feel condemnation when he asked me that, but I, I actually like that question. I'm like, oh, so this is prayer. It's bringing my life to him and saying, I'm, I'm available. And then when he calls my bluff and says, do this, do that, man, can you imagine? I think you can. Go back to the thing you're running from. That thing you're running from. Your price tag was this high. That's a high, I feel like that's a pretty reasonable price tag for Hagar. This whole situation is garbage, Lord. Yes, it is. This isn't fair, Lord. No, it's not. It isn't right, God. You're right, it's not right. But I'm asking you to love in the midst of an unrighteous situation that is not fair at all. And I'll fight on your behalf. And I will be faithful to you. I'm the God who sees you. I'm the God who hears you. But it's not fair. It's not right. It's wasting my life. This is my only life. And you're telling me that I'm going to be unhappy and mistreated in it? It'd be interesting, wouldn't it, if Jesus had that same attitude, right? Whoa, 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 Father. It flips when you put Jesus in our shoes, right? The truth of your life is way bigger than the facts about your story. There's a story you're telling yourself about the meaning of your life. And it's actually the, the, the issue of, of your life is, will I love God? Will I love God? Will I love God? Will I trust God? Will I worship God? There's a church father named Irenaeus, and he said, the glory of God is man. That doesn't mean males. It means humanity. Fully alive. The glory of God, or the most beautiful vision of God you'll ever see, is seen in a person who is fully alive. A person fully alive. A person who is as God intended, motivated by love, with peace, is the expression, the fullest expression of the glory of God. The glory of God is man fully alive, woman fully alive. So God's not like, I want control of your life and I'm going to make bad things happen to you so I can get control of your life. I see that you're seeking joy in other things and I'm going to punish you and I'm going to make your life hard. To, I'm going to make sure that none of those things satisfy you because I want you all for me. And I want to control you. That's actually some people's vision of God, guys. It's actually some people's vision of God. God who wants to control me. I've sat, I've sat with people in physical and emotional pain, physical pain caused by emotional pain, whose understanding of the hard things in their life are God ordained these things to get my attention. And I'm like, let me get this straight. He caused that person to sin against Jesus? 
Is that what he does? No. Caused your husband to cheat on you? Caused your dad to die? Caused your best friend to fall over a heart attack? No. And he did that all to them to get your heart? No. Wow, you must be the center of the universe. It must be, your heart must be so important that he's willing to kill people to get it. That's, the whole vision is weird. It's a weird view of God. It's a weird view of the world. And notice that it makes sense because there's a me-centered orientation. Instead of an awareness of like, this is just the world, dude. The world's, the world's messed up. The world is messed up. People are messed up. Crap's going to happen. It doesn't mean God did it. And it's not all about me. The stuff that happens in my life. Stuff can happen in your life and then we try to find a meaning. A me- where, what? The meaning is your tire got flat and then when you were changing it, you got hit by a truck and died. Doesn't mean that God was like, I'm in a bad mood. Who can I kill? That guy. Ha ha. That is weird. That is so weird. And God called his son to walk into a world that's this broken, that's this messed up, and love perfectly. And he knew full well, he knew full well, the father knew full well what it would look like for Jesus to love people like you and me in a world like this one. He knew exactly how we would respond and said, go anyway. So any of us, we can't like look to Jesus and, and like put those poor me things in our, put it in his mouth. And we go, okay, that's not, that doesn't make sense. I'm not sure where I'm headed with this, with, with this rant I'm on right, right now. I guess what I'm saying is it's super, super tempting to make life about me. When actually... If I surrender to Jesus, I'll find peace in the midst of the storm. Not because he'll like make sure bad things don't happen to me anymore. And you go, well, yeah, but what about our authority in Christ? I know. See, that's why it gets complicated, doesn't it? Some of the bad things happening in my life are consequences to the things that I've done. I hear you loud and clear. But not everything is. Sometimes bad things just happen in a fallen world. To the saints. Matthew 7, last week, we saw it, right? The storms come to the righteous and the unrighteous. Everybody's house goes through storms. What the house does is it stress tests what we are built on. And in the midst of the storm, it's too late to build. Now's the time to build. What do we mean build? We mean get real with Jesus, really, really get in there with Jesus daily and listen. Talk, but listen. Hear and then do so that when the storm comes, how are we doing on time? 12.06, what happened? All right, if the prayer team could come on up here. We're not going to do the usual thing where we give an invitation to come up for, or the, the whatever. I'm just going to check to see if there are any words of knowledge with the prayer team, and then I'm going to lead us in a repeat-after-me prayer as our benediction. As you all know what they're here to do, they're here to pray for you. And also, if you don't feel like coming forward for prayer, but you feel like praying with the people around you or someone else, do that then instead. Uh, they're not here to stop the saints from praying. They're, we're just 
we're just up here because, man, it's a heck of a lot of fun to do it. It is. It is a lot of fun. When you let the prayer team pray for you, you're doing us a favor because it's a blast. Okay, go ahead and stand. Are there any words of knowledge for today?